My friend, I am such a big believer that your mindset is everything. It can really dictate if your life has meaning, has value, and you feel fulfilled, or if you feel exhausted, drained, and like you're never going to be enough. Our brand new book, The Greatest Mindset, just hit the New York Times bestseller back-to-back weeks. And I'm so excited to hear from so many of you who've bought the book, who've read it, and finished it already, and are getting incredible results from the lessons in the book. If you haven't got a copy yet, you'll learn how to build a plan for greatness through powerful exercises and toolkits designed to propel your life forward. This is the book I wish I had when I was 20, struggling, trying to figure out life. 10 years ago, at 30, trying to figure out transitions in my life, and a book I'm glad I have today for myself. Make sure to get a copy at lewishouse.com slash 2023mindset to get your copy today. Again, lewishouse.com slash 2023mindset to get a copy today. Also, the book is on Audible now, so you can get it on audiobook as well. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Every human is different. You are different. You have something very unique about you. That uniqueness exists for a purpose. If you follow that, if you use your uniqueness in some way, you will create something probably pretty interesting and pretty great. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off, off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, quick math. The less your business depends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep, obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT 
costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash greatness. netsuite.com slash greatness. Again, head to netsuite.com slash greatness. Welcome to today's special episode. Over the last 1,300 plus episodes, there have been so many impactful interviews that I've been lucky enough to have, and I always like to reflect on some of the most powerful. And this episode was one that resonated with most of you guys in the past, and I'm excited for the value it's going to bring you today as well. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. You are one of the most influential writers of the last two decades with your books, 48 Laws of Power, 33 Strategies of War, The 50th Law, Mastery, Art of Seduction, and now The Laws of Human Nature, which is going to be a massive hit. Make sure you guys get this book. Um, and probably your best work in your mind ever, right? Do you think this is your best work? It's hard to say. It's like choosing between your children, <laughs> which is your favorite child, you know? Right. It's the latest, so it is, you know, I'm very proud of it, but uh, the thing was, I've been for 20 years, over 20 years, been writing these books. So massive amounts of research and reading, but also consulting work with people in business and other areas. So I've gathered a lot of inte intelligence or knowledge about people and what makes them tick. Mm. And I've seen a lot of mistakes that I've made and other people have made. So this is sort of the distillation of all of my years of research and all the things I've experienced. Wow. Yeah. Where, where's your biggest insecurity in your life? Whether it be when you first started writing books you know, 20 years ago to where it is now? Well, I'm very insecure. Like, really? Yeah, but I try and turn it into something positive. Meaning when I finish a book, I don't really know if it's, if it's that good or if it's going to be successful. Um, I'm, I'm very worried that uh, I'm not connecting to the reader, to the audience. And so what that does for me is <clears throat> I never kind of rest. I'm never comfortable. I never assume, wow, this is a masterpiece. It's going to do really well. And so when I'm writing the book, and it's been in all my books, I'm thinking very, very deeply about the reader. How's the reader going to assimilate this information? Will it help him or her? Will it strike a chord? Will it resonate with their life? Will they think of people that they know? So I'm trying to connect very, very deeply to the reader because I'm insecure, because I don't take them for granted. I think where a lot of writers <coughs> and people go wrong is they believe in their own myth. They believe that what they've written is so good or that they don't have to make that effort to connect to people. You know, a lot of professors or experts or people or in a, a very specific field, they assume that their knowledge is, you know, that, that other people know what they know. And they kind of talk down to the reader. And I never try to talk down to the reader. I try to elevate the, the conversation. Right. And what would you say is your main insecurity? Is it a, a fear of judgment that people may not like your writing or they may not like you or that you're not good enough or what's the... Probably main, all of all that. All of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
You know, I, I kind of grew up that way. Um, my parents were not the type to coddle me or to say, you're great, Robert, or if it came home with straight A's, it was like, ah, <laughs> so what? You they didn't do care better. that much. Oh, yeah. wow. Even if you got no, a perfect No, they cared. They cared, but oh, you can always do better. Even if you got a perfect score. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> could have done it's, it faster. You could have done yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a Jewish thing, I have to uh -huh. say. But um, so I never felt secure about my work. Um, maybe when I was younger, you know, <clears throat> I, I tried to write. I tried many different forms of writing. I tried writing novels. Mm -hmm. And I think in my 20s, I was a little more grandiose. I believed that what I was writing was really great, and it wasn't. It kind of sucked. <clears throat> so it's been a process of also getting over that kind of youthful exuberance and, you know, taking more time and thinking more deeply about what you're doing. But um, I have a lot of insecurities. I mean, that's, that's one of them. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know? And you talk about detaching from our emotions. Yeah. Is there... Is there more value in detaching from our emotions or because we are emotional and insecure, we create better work by holding on to those emotions? Well, that's a great question. Um, like if you didn't care, do you think these books would be as, as good as they are? Well, probably the source, to get back to your first question, uh -huh. the source of my insecurity is I kind of have an, a desire to please people to impress them. I'm just being very honest here. Yeah. Um, and this probably went back to very early on, so I've always wanted to get the best grades and be the best pupil in the, in the class. But there's a, there's a weakness in that. It seems great, you're getting straight A's, you're doing well in sports, etc. But there's actually an insecurity, a, a, a self-doubt, where you're trying to please people and maybe you go a little extra hard. So in that sense, compensating for your insecurities in that way can be a positive thing. So my insecurity by itself could destroy me <clears throat> in that I would never get the effort up to make write a book or do something. Mm, it would hold I you would, back from putting it out. Yeah. yeah, because if I doubt myself, maybe it's better never to try anything. A lot of young people have this problem. Um, they have a negative attitude where they, they think that, well, if I don't do anything, if I just be a slacker, at least I won't fail, and I can kind of make my feel, myself feel better that I'm the best slacker that there is. You know, if you don't try too hard, you're never going to fail. You're never going to have the pain of failure. So that's the negative side of insecurity. But it can also motivate you to try even harder, to actually get work done, and to make mm -hmm. it something really great, and to doubt yourself constantly, you know, which is how I kind of use that. Right. Using the doubt to push yourself to put out better work. Yeah, I mean, it probably, you know, I had a, we can get to this, I had a stroke a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. Probably is what led to this, and is not a necessarily a good thing, but I worked so hard on this book. Five always, years. Five obsessing years. Obsessing over it, every word, every sentence. Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking, you know, um, how can I make this more accessible? Because a lot of the information I had was from kind of heavy sources, like, psychologists, people who are psychoanalysts who've studied human nature very deeply and they use a lot of jargon and you can't really figure out exactly what they're saying and I want to make it under readable for the average reader out there. So the effort uh, of constantly trying to connect to people is I think comes from an insecurity but it, it's turned into something positive. Yeah. And it's this is a great question. I never had it never been asked this before. Yeah. 
do you feel like it's worth putting out these books that reach millions of people at the detriment of potential health challenges? Yeah, I mean, if you asked me, if I could have a choice of not writing the book and never having this physical problem, I would have chosen writing the book. Really? For sure. Why is that? Because I have, I may be physically crippled a little bit and I'll get over it, but I have this for the rest of my life. I can feel really good about myself. I could die tomorrow and I know that I wrote what I wanted to create. Wow. I expressed what I, my life was meant to express. So that's a great feeling that even in the worst depression I could have with my body not responding the way I want, I can feel a great deal of pride that I actually got this thing done and it didn't kill me. Is there a way to create masterpieces <laughs> without doing that? And staying healthy and peaceful in your mind. Well, you know, you'd think I would have because I exercise every day. You swim. I swim. I, I, I mean, I'm a fanatic. Even now with my stroke, I'm exercising every day aerobically and uh, eat well and I meditate. Wow. And I, you know, I do everything right. But it's still, it's still led to this. Yeah, it's a good question. I think my next book, because <laughs> I am getting older yeah. and this happened. I'm going to have to kind of find a better way to do it a little bit, to still write something shorter with a lot of work, but not maybe take five years. Right. You know? Take a year and a half, two years, maybe three years. Yeah. Three years, three. maybe two, three <laughs> years, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you're already thinking about the next book. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in the ambulance on the way home from the hospital, I had an idea for my next book. Really? Yeah. What was that? <laughs> Well, it's very, it's very primitive. I've not really totally developed it. But it's about how, um, how the bad things in life, how negative things um, are actually, I mean, it's similar to Ryan's book, but it's a, a different spin on it. How they, you actually learn more from the negative <clears throat> mm -hmm. than the positive. Yeah. Like you learn, this is, uh, I thought in the ambulance back home, I thought of all of the people I knew who handle adversity terribly. I'm not going to name names. Sure, sure. Some of them are related to me. <laughs> sure. Who handle adversity really badly. And I thought, I don't want to be them. And as I thought about that, I thought, hmm, there's something interesting in that thought. Like who I don't want to be. We never think like that. Mm. But it's actually very interesting. So, yeah. um, and it's also getting in touch with um, learning from your bad experiences, but also um, it's kind of a book about negativity, and I know that sounds really bad and negative. Sure, sure. <laughs> but how we're so attached to what we see in life, to what's in front of us, to what the appearances people have, to their masks they wear. And I want you to think of what isn't there, what you're not seeing, what's invisible. I kind of go into it in the, tr in the chapter about generations and trends in society. And all my books, I'm trying to tell people, don't accept what you see with your eyes. Look for something deeper. What is the meaning behind this? If you're planning a, a strategy or a, making a big decision in your life, what is it that you're not considering? So it's kind of about negative space. Mm. I know it's very primitive, but I'm, I'm, oh, I, can, I, I can promise you I'll turn it into something I'm sure interesting. it'll be beautiful, yeah. Well, in sports, they always talk about, you know, you learn more from your losses than your wins. That's right. You're not, everything's fine when you win. You're like, ah, everything's forgiven. That's right. Like, let's just keep doing it. 
That's when right. you're losing, that's when you're like, okay, we evaluate everything. That's right. And well, some people don't, so people don't know how to do that. But you, that's how you have to profit from your losses. I yeah. do that with things I've written that didn't quite work out. You know, I've written books that uh, I had to completely rewrite that were dead ends. Like the 50 Cent book. I had a version of that book that we did together that wasn't working at all. And I learned a lot from what I did wrong there. I learned, for instance, the problem of that book in its first version was that I wasn't being myself. Mm. I was trying to be, please him more. And I've learned to always sort of be myself. But I had to learn that by trying to be someone else. So that sort of is what you're talking Interesting. about. Interesting, yeah. Uh, in this book, I think this is fascinating. You have all these different laws about human nature and understanding <coughs> why humans do the things they do, why yeah. they think, why they feel a certain way. Uh, and you talk about uh, determining the strength of people's character. How do we understand the strength of someone's character, whether they're toxic, whether they're, they have high values, besides this, you know, the things that we can see of like, okay, they broke their word or they're negative or things like that. How do we really determine someone's character? Well, the first thing you have to do, <clears throat> the most important thing is to realize <clears throat> that determining people's character is the most important thing that you have to do in judging them. So normally, we think if someone's very charming, <clears throat> that that's great, or if they're really good looking, or if they're very successful. So if we're looking, let's say we're looking for a business partner, or a romantic partner, or a colleague to work with, we're going to base our decision on those kinds of appearances. Like people can be very good at deceiving you with mm. being very charming and flattering, or they have a brilliant resume, and you'll be seduced by that. And what you want to do, the first step in that law is to say, no, that's not how I'm going to judge people. My main value is their character and the strength of their character. And character is something from deep, deep, deep within. The word character comes from the Greek, um, chairos, which means to carve. Hmm. And character is something really deeply carved inside the person. Wow. It's who they are at their core. It creates patterns of behavior that they can't even really control. It's who they are genetically. It's who they are from the early values of their parents. So you want to connect to that. You want to see that. It's not immediately visible to you because people will disguise their character. You want to see that and you want to value it more than anything else. And what you want are people with strong character. And what that means is people, they have an expression for metal. They call it tensile, where a metal is stronger if it can give a little bit. Mm. And it, because if something is too rigid, if it, it, breaks. it breaks. So you want people who are adaptable, who can be fluid, who aren't weak, because that metal isn't weak, who have an inner strength and a core to them, but they can bend, they can learn, they can adapt, they can change. You want to see people um, who are empathetic, you know, um, who, who know how to get along with other people. So if you have two people to choose and one has a glittering resume but the other person understands human nature and is <clears throat> superior in a social sense and can also has a good work ethic, you choose that other person. You don't choose necessarily the person with that glittering resume. Um, and so the one, th one of the things you look for are patterns in, pe in judging their character. Because people reveal themselves in the past. They mm. reveal who they are through their actions. Mm. Um, they try and disguise it, but they reveal it. So I say in that chapter, 
nobody ever does anything once. So let's say you have a friend who does something kind of nasty to you. They talk behind your back. Then they'll say, oh, Robert, Robert, that was just uh, something came over. That, that isn't me. You know, I'm sorry about that. That just happened. It was, uh, circumstances made me do that. And you'll be likely to believe them. <clears throat> but the fact is, if they've done that once, they've probably done it many times. Mm. If people gossip and you hear them gossiping about other people, they'll probably eventually gossip about you. So mm -hmm. you want to be able to look at people's patterns and look at their past and see um, trends and understand that if they've done certain things in the past, they will continue to do them because we humans are, have compulsive behavior. We are compelled to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. How do we, how do we um, stop that pattern? If we recognize it within ourselves, my character's been off, I've been doing something, you know, for years a certain way that I don't want to do anymore. How do we do it so we can strengthen our character, but also say, you know what, I believe this other person can have a stronger character through breaking a pattern? Or is it just mm -hmm. not possible? Of course it's possible. <clears throat> At the end of every chapter, I show you how you can turn this potentially negative quality into a positive quality. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> when it comes to you and your own patterns, you have to first realize that you have these patterns before you can even begin to break them. So awareness. So, yeah, honesty. This is a book yeah. about awareness and being honest with yourself. If you don't admit that you have these patterns, then you can't possibly break them. I know in writing books, I have ter terrible, terrible patterns. Like what? Well, stressing so much over mm -hmm. things that aren't that important. Obsessing, you know? stressing, yeah. Obsessing. Um, I take note cards for everything that I read, all my research, and I take way too much, too much information. I have like thousands of them I'm writing. And I have to stop and I say, stop being so, such a perfectionist. It's, it's like you're wasting your time. It's been book after book after book. I'm very aware of it, and I'm very aware of, of breaking that pattern. But you have to see it and be honest with yourself in order to break it, you know? Right. So that's the first step, is, is seeing the pattern and then not struggling against it, not trying to be somebody who you're not, but finding a way to use that pattern, to use that problem to your advantage. Similar to what Ryan Holiday wrote in his book, The Obstacle is the Way. I, I have an example in the book of um, an actress, Joan Crawford, from the Hollywood classical period. And she had a very troubled childhood. Um, didn't know her father, her mother beat her. Uh, men abused her, etc. And she managed to take, and it was creating terrible patterns in her life. And she found a way to turn that around, to use all of those disadvantages and make them make herself a much stronger and, and very powerful performer mm -hmm. by bringing all of the pain in her childhood into her acting, by becoming so focused on the director. Because she had been abused, she was very sensitive to other people. She used that sensitivity to focus on the director and other actors to be in tune with them. To connect with them, to build relationship, is that essentially? Yeah. <clears throat> she was very aware of her own weaknesses and her own fragility, and she was able to use that as a strength. Mm. Um, so with other people, it's never hopeless. I mean, some people are toxic. I talk a lot of them mm -hmm. about toxic characters. Uh -huh. People, those are the kinds of people who can't really change their patterns are too ingrained. And we've all met people like that.
One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there to too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We've all had to deal with a narcissist who's so deeply self-absorbed. <laughs> There's nothing that's ever going to save them or pull them out of that, really? that self-absorption. Unless they have like a near-death experience or they have someone close to them. That's like, true. You know, something where it's that's like true. a big awakening. That's true. Or they get sick or whatever, right? You're right. That happens. That does happen. Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it does. But you have to be honest that there are people out there. You can't be naive. There are people out there who are toxic, who are dangerous, who can ruin your life. Mm. You hire the wrong person. And uh, I've, I've dealt with a lot of, in my consulting, with a lot of people who hired a business partner who ended up sort of taking the business oh, from them. It's very Bad. common scenario. Um, you have to not be naive and recognize these toxic types. And often it's best not to try and change them because trying to change them entangles you in a lot of their drama. And it just, it's just never gonna happen. You might be trying yeah. for years and wasting your time and energy. But, you know, people have to be able to, <clears throat> to change themselves. You know, <clears throat> they have to be motivated. You can help illuminate some of their patterns and their problems. Mm -hmm. But it has to come from within. Yeah. Now, you talk about the law of self-sabotage. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, we could self-sabotage ourselves by attracting toxic people, but also what are the other ways that we sabotage ourselves? Well, um, it's, this is a chapter about your attitude in life, right? And um, yeah. the, the point of that chapter is 
related to human nature is none of us see the world in the same way. So you and I could go watch a movie. It's the same movie that we're watching. I love it. I see something. You hate it. You see something else. You don't experience it the same way. We're watching the same world, the same reality, but we experience it differently. Everybody you meet is experiencing their world differently than you are. So you have an attitude that colors what you see. And some people have an attitude that tends towards the negative. And I describe a negative attitude as something that's closed. So you're not open to new experience. You're trying to close that lens. You, want to see, you, you have certain beliefs, certain uh, ideas about life, and you're not willing to change them. Right? Because that gives you a sense of security. Um, and so you want an attitude that's expansive, where you accept people, you're not always judging them, you're not negative about them, you understand that people can't necessarily help who they are. Um, you're open to change, you're open to, being a, to having adventure. And that kind of attitude kind of gives you a certain degree of freedom. Mm -hmm. So that the worst thing that happened to you and you're able to transform that into something good. So um, what your question was... How do we recognize when we're sabotaging ourselves and what's the things we do most to self-sabotage? Well, um, if we have <clears throat> a, a setback or a failure in life, which is inevitable, <clears throat> do we do one of two things? Do we analyze ourselves and see what we did wrong and how we could change ourselves? Or do we immediately blame, look outward yeah. and blame other people? Mm -hmm. That person screwed me. Society doesn't like me. Because of these circumstances, I'm, I'm screwed and I can never help it. It's the world. It's not me. That's a self-sabotaging pattern of behavior. Because if you're always pointing fingers at other people and blaming them, you're never going to learn from your experiences and you're, all, you're going to end up being quite bitter. Um, so that's probably one of the most, the main sources of a, of a self-sabotaging. So you could easily say this stupid bee that stung my neck that caused this blood clot and this high pressure in me, I blame the bee for this you know, stroke <laughs> that I had, screw you bee. Or you could take responsibility and say, well, what did I do to my health? Yeah. Leading up to the bee sting, right. you know, for years and taking full ownership and responsibility. Right. Is that, that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's what you're hearing. And yeah. that, and that the, the story and the perception around the experience, the way you see that movie playing out, well, having, if you, having a positive attitude around it. And, ref, being, and reflecting about you, the role that you played in what happened. So we can't, we're not in charge of everything that happens in life. There are circumstances that are beyond our control. Right, but a lot of what does happen to us is something that, mm -hmm. that we do that we are responsible for. There are amazing studies about the role of attitude and what happens to you in life. So they have this thing called the Pygmalion effect. <clears throat> um, teachers who treat a student as if they are smart and going to do well, those students end up doing well. Right. So how you treat people, how you think about yourself has a great impact on what happens to you. When doctors prescribe a new medication, there's always the same trend that uh, when a, a new medication has been invented, the success rate is like 80% because people believe in it because it's new 
and then like a, two years later it starts going down because really? it's not yeah it's a placebo effect mm -hmm. so if you believe something is going to work if you believe that you are great and you, de you deserve good things that you are a good student you will end up making those things happen so how you look at yourself will often determine <clears throat> what ends up happening to yourself so if you're talking about so what what causes self-sabotage if you go through life thinking God, I'm not really that good, you know? There's something wrong with me. I don't really deserve good things. I don't deserve to have a lot of success or to have a lot of money. People read that off of you. A major theme in this book is that we are masters at reading people's body language and nonverbal behavior. So when somebody feels that they don't deserve things, it's kind of an off-putting quality in mm -hmm. them and it pushes <clears throat> people away. So you create self-fulfilling dynamics by how you look at yourself and your attitude. I had a chapter in the, the 48 Laws of Power called Think Like a King to be Treated Like One. Mm. And there's a story of Christopher Columbus who came from dirt poor poverty but imagined that he was royalty. And by imagining that, people started treating him like that. And as they treated him like that, he felt even more kind of greater about himself. And he was able to, to uh, convince the king of Portugal to give him these ships when in fact he was sort of a mediocre admiral, uh, uh, captain. Mm. So your attitude and how you think about yourself sort of determine how people <clears throat> treat you and what happens in life. Yeah, I, you know, I always say that we're either, you know, life's an enrollment game and we're either enrolling people in our vision or unenrolling people by the way we're showing up, our energy, our language. What, what, do you, what do you mean by enrolling? <laughs> I'm enrolling you to come on my show yeah. and getting you to come on my show because of the energy I put out, the relationship we have, yeah. the connection, the platform. Or I'm unenrolling you by, by the way I've treated you over the last six or seven years, by yeah. the platform being out of integrity or not doing that well. Yeah. You're not going to be as excited to want to say yes. Yeah. You know, we're, we're influencing people all the time. You are influencing people all the time. In a positive or negative way, right? It's yes. Like, everything you do, people are reading and they're either saying, I like that or I don't like that yes or, or no. I'm indifferent. <clears throat> yeah. Yes is like, I'm enrolling you, yes, or I'm not enrolling you. It's a no. And you talk about, the you know, the chapter that I really like is um, about... Seven, number seven. Where are we at here? Where am I at here? Soften people's resistance. No. Okay. Where are we at? The, pers the persuasive one. Yeah, seven. Is that one? Yeah, right here. The five strategies to becoming a master persuader. Is that this one? Yeah, right here. Seven, yeah. Well, you, Lewis, don't need to read that chapter because you already <laughs> have that kind of mastered. But I think people um, need to understand this Yeah. because I think what we just talked about right there is probably one of the most powerful parts of this whole book in my mind and in life is are you enrolling people in your vision yeah. in in being the king or queen in getting the ships that you want are you are you stepping up and enrolling people and getting people to say yes to you yeah or your dreams or hire you or date you or yeah. marry you yeah. or are you not showing up in a way that people want to say yes to you right and i feel like a key question my whole business has been built on getting people to say yes when yeah. I had nothing you know I was on my sister's couch 10 years ago yeah no money yeah no skills no degree and it was an energy 
that I had to learn how to just get people to say yes, and then yeah. more, and then building momentum around that. Um, so I'd love to talk about this, becoming a master persuader, and the first thing you talk about is, which I think most people aren't doing, you say is to deepen your listening, and yeah. be a better listener. And most people don't have the patience to care about someone else, they're so concerned about what they think about them. Well, people always talk about being a, a better listener, and their advice is usually very weak. I mean, it doesn't ineffective <laughs> because okay, I've become a better listener. Yeah, I'll try that, but it's very hard to overcome certain patterns. So I try to tackle the question of why is it that you're not a good listener? And at the root of that is you're more interested in yourself mm -hmm. than you are in the other person. You won't deny that. You will say, oh, no, 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 that's not me. That's not me. I really like people. But the truth is you're more interested in your own thoughts and your own ideas, things that you're so certain about, your own experiences, than about that other person and what they're saying and what's going on inside them. If you can flip that around, if you can actually feel the motivation to get inside Lewis and get inside his head and his experience, then you will suddenly will become a better listener. That's the key, not just telling people to listen more. The key is the quality of the listening and the emotion involved. Mm -hmm. So if I feel I want to get inside that other person inside their life, then suddenly you will start listening. What will make you interested in other people? Well, first off is the idea you don't know them. Normally, when you're, let's say you're on a first date with someone or, or you're just meeting someone, you have assumptions about them. You create a simplified version of who they are, and that's what you think, you know, and that'll stay with you forever. Instead, you want to think, that person is more interesting than I imagine. I, their first appearance isn't really who they are. They're like a, a book that I could read. We love going to movies and getting inside other characters and what motivates them, being taken along for a ride. Think of the people that you meet in life as a character in a movie. Mm. You want to know what motivates them. They are more interesting than you think. They've had traumas. They've had problems from their early childhood. They have fantasies. They have a shadow, a dark side to their personality they're not revealing. They're more complicated and interesting than you think. So if you're motivated to understand what makes them tick, their experience, suddenly you will start listening. Yeah. So that's the key to me. And it's not easy. Why is it so hard for people? Because for me, it's, it's been an easy thing because I've used my insecurity of not feeling like I was smart enough growing up because yeah. I was one of the poorer students in school. Yeah. So I was like, my voice doesn't matter as much. Let me just ask smart people what they think. Right. And it became a huge advantage for me. Right. Because I've learned that being the most interested person in the room, you become the most interesting. Well, the key is really so much in the book is, are you motivated to change yourself? Do you want to become successful in life? This book is trying to realign your priorities and how you look at the world. Normally, your focus is on yourself and on your work and the techniques in your work, mm -hmm. you know, the, the skills you have to master. And I'm telling you, the key to success in life is people. We're a social animal. You know, we're like dogs or wolves or whatever, chimpanzees. Yeah. We're a social animal. And how we interact with people will determine how far we get. 
You can be brilliant at, at hacking computers or whatever, but if you're terrible with people, your life is going to be hell. Mm -hmm. So you, are you motivated to become somebody supremely skilled at understanding and working at peop with people? That's the whole point of the book. You have to buy into that. You have to buy into the fact that you're usually bad at dealing with people. You're not seeing who they are. You're seeing reflections of your own, your own fantasies or projections. You have to admit that you're not good at dealing with people and you need to improve. If you're that, if you understand that and you want to change and you're motivated to get out of your shell, then you can make that leap. I'm a big advocate of baby steps. You're not going to suddenly transform yourself into Bill Clinton overnight. Right, right. right? remember thousands of people's names and yeah. Or suddenly become a great listener. Mm -hmm. So every day you, you give yourself little tests so you have now lunch with this person who you normally find kind of boring. All right, for 10 minutes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut off my internal monologue, and I'm going to force myself to listen to them, and I'm going to glean some information, some nugget about their character that I never understood before. I'm going to ask them about their childhood. I'm not going to be like, it's, it's not going to be that kind of inquisition where I'm asking them, you know, penetrating right. questions. But in a relaxed mood, I'm going to find out about something that, that really motivates them or something deep or some traumatic experience they had. You, you force yourself day by day to take little baby steps in which you try to learn something about people that you didn't know before yeah. and get interested in them and their experiences. I think a lot of people are asking the wrong questions, too. I think you got to start learning to ask different questions. Like what? What do you mean? I think a lot of questions are very servicey, and I know you wanted to keep it relaxed as well. You don't need to be like, "Tell me your dumbest yeah, yeah, secret yeah, ever." Yeah, 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 but it's yeah. also there's ways you can start opening that up. And I think, for me, I know if I want to get the most out of someone, I have to give the most myself. I have to yeah. start with vulnerability or opening up in certain right. ways. I can't just expect someone else to open up if I don't. But right. I think certain questions, like if you're meeting someone for the first time, as opposed to what do you do or where do you work? It's what are you most excited about right now? Yeah. Or what's something you've been having a challenge with in your life? Well, the thing really? I tell people to look for, because I'm a very big believer in nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. In the course of a conversation, if you, if you keep it kind of open and flowing, people's eyes will light up when a certain topic is mentioned. It could be their children. Mm -hmm. It could be their work. It could be their parent. It could be something in their life that their whole body language changes. They relax. I know if you suddenly asked me about the Los Angeles Lakers, I would be excited. I would be very excited because that's <laughs> one of my deep passions in life is basketball and the Lakers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But well, people you got, you got my hometown guy, LeBron James. Oh, you're from Cleveland. I'm from Ohio. Wow. I'm from Ohio, but I How yeah. do you feel about this? I feel bittersweet because I wish he stayed in Cleveland. Oh, he did. <clears throat> I wanted to win one more there, but you know I live in LA now, so it's nice that he's here at least, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that I could go to some games and watch him. Yeah, that's right. Because I didn't get to go watch games in Cleveland. So that's right. So I'm like, you know, if he's gonna go anywhere, <clears throat> this is that's the place right. to be. Yeah. That's right. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I never used to like LeBron, but now I love him. But now you love him. <laughs> Greatest player in the world. Yeah. He is. <laughs> For sure. Well, so you light up about that. Look at you. You're getting excited talking about it. You can it. see it. If somebody inadvertently brought that up, they could see like, God, I, oh, wow, man. I could talk for hours about the Lakers, yeah. you know. But there, everybody has a topic like that. It could be something a little more intellectual, more interesting than, than sports. But right. look for, you're not paying attention to people's body language is another thing. So as an observer, as a good listener, you're not just hearing their words. You're looking at their eyes. 
their, their facial expressions. I have mm -hmm. a chapter on that how to differentiate between the fake smile and the genuine smile. Wow. And, it, and, it, and it's very real, you know. A, a real smile lights up the whole face. It alters how the eyes look. You want to see when you hit something like that, or when you've done the opposite, and you get that kind of scowling micro-expression, <laughs> right? right? right. But people aren't observant. Mm. They're, they're in their own shell. They're not seeing. People are constantly giving out signs of their likes, their aversions. <clears throat> you know, their values, and you're missing them because you're not paying attention. Is it because we're too obsessed with how we look or what other people are judging about us? Is yeah. that why we're closed off or not observant? I think it becomes kind of a habit, and that's the main part of it, that we're worried about how we look and how they're judging us. But also part of that habit is, you know, life is difficult in this world, in the modern world. We're absorbing too much information on our phones, yeah. et cetera. And, 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 and it's very, you know, competitive world out there. So naturally we turn inward. Naturally we're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about what we need to do, you know, our own anxieties. Or to they're talking ahead, yeah. and I'm thinking about, I have to, I can't change that appointment tomorrow. Kind of thing. Because you're thinking about your own problems, etc. And naturally so. But the whole thing is, is, my books are all about getting outside of yourself and finding other people more interesting than yourself mm -hmm. in some ways. Yeah, I'm always doing that. Yeah, I'm well, always you don't, you don't need this book. Yeah, I know, this is great though. <laughs> I, I think you, you know, for me, I do need this book because there's always another level of like, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? And how can I get to where I want to be faster? You talk about infect people with yep. the proper mood. Yeah. What does that mean and how do we do this? Well, this is a key to influence and persuasion. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this, assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. 
and I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I'm trying to make the case in this book about human nature that we are animals, that we have an animal side to our nature that you have to understand. And <clears throat> we are extremely vulnerable to the emotions and moods of other people. I trace that back to how we evolved as primates um, and, and the need our ancestors had for understanding the moods of the people in the, tr in the group or the tribe before language was invented. So we're extremely wow. vulnerable to the moods and attitudes of other people. If someone visits us and they're in a depressed mood, it will tend to lower our energy. We've all had the experience. Think of it yourself. You go through life and you encounter 10 different people and there's always one in those 10 people that kind of makes you feel happy. Yeah. The moment you meet them, an old friend or whomever, while you're smiling, you're laughing, your mood changes. Right. And there's one in 10 that every time you meet them, they feel like, man. <laughs> your mood changes in a bad way. Bad yeah. way. Well, it's because you're feeling something. It's not just the fact that you're a friend. There's something nonverbal going on. Our moods are extremely contagious. And so you can persuade people more through you infecting them with your mood than through your words. True. Words are not necessarily the best means of, of influence. Energy. Energy. The way you show up. Attitude. It's like if there's a negative room or people having a negative conversation, there's 10 people, and someone enters it with a positive energy and just starts connecting with each person, you see the mood lift in a positive way. Right. But it could also be if everyone's having a good time and one person comes in. And it's like just being negative and taking everyone down and saying stupid stuff. You're like, we've all been through that. Then everyone's mood goes down again. Goes back to life is an enrollment game. You're either enrolling people in the way you want to show up, right. or they're enrolling you, and that energy. Well, so this this should be like a really exciting concept to you, the reader, yeah. because what it means is you can you change. Can, you can alter people by how you your approach them with your energy. Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, I wrote about that a lot in The Art of Seduction. Um, Errol Flynn was probably the greatest seducer that ever lived. If we counted the number of women he slept with, it's <laughs> close thousand. to 3,000. Wow. And he, he died when he was 50. Wow. So if you do the math, it's pretty insane. <laughs> wow. He was an, an unbelievable seducer. And I researched this as deeply as I could. Why? And women would write uh, memoirs about it, and they no would way. mention their experience. And they said being around Errol Flynn was like having drunk three martinis. He was so relaxed and so comfortable with himself. He had a kind of animal spirit where he was just really himself and very comfortable, very open. That being around him, you just, you felt all of your resistance and all your defenses just <laughs> melting away. Uh, there were other great seducers, like Duke Ellington was like that. Uh -huh. So on the level of seduction and, and male or female, how you approach them, your mood, more than what you say about yourself and your own insecurities will have a much greater impact. More than the pickup lines or whatever, it's the I, energy. I believe so. The, the confidence. A relaxed, undefensive quality.
is will will go very far. I remember how did he how did he die? Alcohol. Wow. He was bad. just he was a major alcoholic. He drank himself to death. He probably was unfulfilled. Huh? He was probably unfulfilled. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> three thousand women. It could be kind of it gets kind of soulless oh after a while. Oh my gosh! Yeah. He was a great. He's a very interesting character. But I remember I was in uh, Paris when I was twenty-one. I was living there. I was working in a hotel. And there was a man. It was a hotel where all the models stayed. And there was this Brazilian man who was obsessed with all the models in the hotel, and he was the greatest seducer I've ever seen in my life. And one day I was walking down the street with him and some other friends, and this other woman came running up. She realized he was a seducer and was not, had not been honest and was cheating on her. And I will never forget how he responded. He was so relaxed and so undefensive about it, and he didn't apologize. He was just, this is who I am, more or less in his body language. Mm -hmm. And she completely relaxed and changed. You know, and I, I thought, God, normally it would have been this yelling match, and he completely diffused it with his sort of relaxed attitude, you know. So it's a whole language that you need to master, is how your moods infect other people. And I tell people, experiment with that. Yeah. Normally with this one person, you're locked in a dynamic where you always are kind of reacting the same way. Try next time approaching them with a completely different mood, think something differently about them. Suddenly force yourself to think that this person is really, really like good looking and exciting and seductive. And you'll see that your thinking of them in a certain way will change how they respond to you. Wow. As you opposed know, to being defensive and guarded and reactive and angry. Judgmental. Yeah. And yeah. you said you do not judge other people, you accept them as they are. Well, that's a key throughout the whole book. You're not going to influence people if you're judging them, right? That's the key through the whole book. The book starts with a quote from Schopenhauer, meaning that if you come across people who are bad, just think of them as, or as toxic, just think of them as a sort kind of mineral that you're, that you're encountering. That you're a scientist. People are all different. You're not going to change them. They are who they are because of their circumstances. And instead of judging everyone, learn to accept them and to kind of understand that you, you are fatal, you are flawed, and so are they. So kind of get rid of your superiority. Yeah, because that's not going to influence them. If you're trying to persuade them to do something, judging them and making them wrong is only going to make people more defensive, right? Well, that's true. But the other point is your, superior, your sense of superiority is usually not justified. Mm -hmm. I'm making the point in this book, the, the number one thing about human nature is that we tend to deny that there is such a thing. I'm not aggressive. I'm not narcissistic. I never feel envy. I don't have a bad side to me. It's the other people, right? Sure. Right. I Wrong. don't have any of these bad qualities. <laughs> we all do that. We all, point. yeah. You have these qualities as well as anyone else. If you can be honest with yourself, you'll be a little more humble mm -hmm. and realize you're not so perfect and not superior which will make you less judgmental about other people. Yeah. And you said, you just talked about this, but um, thinking of the person in the best light as they're generous and caring uh, or thinking that they're good looking. You know, thinking that yeah. will help you, your energy show up in a different way to potentially persuade them. It will alter the dynamic. Of the conversation, right. I have a story in there of, um, of in the next chapter of this great Russian writer, Chekhov, 
who came from the worst, the poorest circumstances. His father beat him every day. He lived in the most miserable village in Russia. Then his family abandoned him to go to Moscow and left him alone in this, in this village. And he said, God, I could end up being the most, the most bitter person and hating everybody and hating my life. And I don't want to let that happen to me. <clears throat> There's a chapter about how, ch how to change your attitude. And instead, I'm going to accept my father. I'm going to learn mm -hmm. to love him. He grew up under terrible circumstances. He's beating me because his father beat him. I'm going to understand him and I'm going to accept him and I'm going to love him. I'm going to do the same about my mother. I'm going to do the same about my alcoholic brother. And then he moved to Moscow to be with them. And he moved into this house with eight people who were miserable, fighting, toxic. bitter, hating, toxic. And his attitude and his acceptance of them completely altered everything. He got his father out of the house and into a better job. He changed his, you know, he got his, his siblings to start reading and to, to think of higher things than mm. just their petty feelings. He changed the dynamic by how he, uh, how he thought of them. Wow. Yeah. One person can change the whole dynamic. That's right. Or the whole dynamic can change the one person. That's right. And you say that when you want to persuade someone, they can't feel like they're being coerced or manipulated. They must choose to do whatever it is you want them to do, or they must at least experience it as, as their choice. Well, this is the key to this particular chapter, but it's a key to the whole book, is people have what I call a self-opinion. They have a way that they look at themselves. I said there are three universals to the self-opinion. Practically every human being has them. Number one, we all think that we're autonomous, that when we make a decision, we weren't manipulated. We did it on our own. We're independent. Number two, that we're intelligent, that we're smart, that we know what we were doing. It doesn't mean that you feel like you're an intellectual. A plumber thinks that he knows plumbing better than anyone, and that makes him feel like he's intelligent in his own way. And the third is that we're good people, that we treat people well. Now, none of these might be true, but we all tend to believe them, that that's who we are. Then there'll be other components to that. Oh, I'm very independent, self-reliant person, or I'm a great rebel, I'm anti-authoritarian, etc. So you have an opinion about yourself. And if someone tries, says something that challenges that opinion of yourself inadvertently, if they make you feel that you're kind of stupid or that you don't know what you're talking about, or that you're you're doing something because you were manipulated, that you didn't choose to do it, or that you're really not such a good person, we will suddenly get extremely defensive and closed off. And nothing you will ever say or do will change that. We will, you can, it can even turn into hatred or something, wow. bitter feelings. Most of the time we're going around and we're not doing that, but we're not um, necessarily feeding people self-opinion. The number one need that humans have, I want you to remember this, is to feel validated by other people. We That's all, the number one need. The number one need. William James, the great psychologist, said that it's not just me. People want to feel recognized and validated by other people. We can feel good about ourselves, but if we don't get that from other people, if they don't validate that we're smart, intelligent, independent, it's hard to, to feel that. So we're all craving that validation. Constantly. Constantly. If you're able to give people some of that validation, if you're able to feed their self-opinion without being a flatterer, because you know people do have good qualities and you can actually recognize them, mm -hmm. 
But if you can validate their self-opinion, suddenly their defenses go down and you have room to maneuver them, to persuade them, to influence them. You talk about uh, being allied to their insecurities and you say by, by praising and flattery is a great strategy like you just said, but not, there's praise and strategy but then there's manipulation. So what's the dance between the two? Well, if you flatter someone and it's clear that, that it's you're after something, You've already validated their. Um, sorry, you already um, violated their self opinion because it's clear that that you think that there's someone that can be manipulated. Mm. So you're telling them, "Oh, you're not so independent as you think. I can I can trick you," and that doesn't work if we see through some obvious flattery. So that you can't connection, flatter someone and then say, "Oh, can you do this for me right afterwards?" Well, that's 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 pretty obvious. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but also. Um, if you flatter someone about something that everybody flatters them about, then it's clear what you're after, that you're, that you're doing something. So you want to find those qualities that no one's been flattering them about, right. but that they feel insecure about. Uncertain about. Right. And, and now what would that be for you, Lewis? Oh man, probably like that I'm a good writer. You know, it's like... I believe that I'm a good writer, uh -huh. but it's like I'm not as good as you. You know, it's like I'm not as like a Ryan Holiday or. So now all of your listeners know that. <laughs> yeah, tell me you have a great book, Lewis. I love reading. Your it. writing is, is amazing. <laughs> there you go. You're on Ryan's <laughs> level completely. Um, exactly. So, to to get to that point, though, you have to understand people. You have to see who they are. You have to understand what their insecurities would be. Generally, you don't want to flatter people about what everybody else is flattering them about. Yeah, yeah. It's too obvious. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, for instance, <clears throat> a person will be very, is very Machiavellian, uh, is very clever and strategic. And if you flatter them about that, um, thinking that, that you, know, that's, you know who they are, et cetera, uh -huh. you're actually going to insult them because they don't want to think of themselves as being Machiavellian. They think that they're doing these things for a good cause, for a good reason. So you want to find a different avenue, a different way of approaching them to say, wow, you won that election and because you, you, you're going to do great things with it, you know, flattering their, their values, their sense of, mm, of goodness. The impact you're making and yeah. how you're helping people. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's figuring that out and figuring out what's, it, and the way you do that is by being a good listener, I think, yeah. and a good observer. Yeah. By not just observing the obvious, but observing the unobvious. Right. And you have to get out of your own self to be interested in someone else. Yeah, all these things are interconnected that exactly. we've been talking about. And then you talk about using people's resistance and stubbornness. They are often most people with deeper levels of insecurity and low self-opinion. Well, um, this is tricky. This is kind of advanced influence. You know, <laughs> yes. this is like advanced seduction. Yeah. Yes. Where um, it's basically reverse psychology. Okay. And you, the best example is like a rebellious teenager, who doesn't want to do their homework, who doesn't want to be told what to do. You have to realize that you telling them what to do feeds into their rebellious nature and just makes them more defensive. But if you go with their resistance and go with their feeling of, of being a rebel, you can actually work within their mindset and get them to change. Mm. I have an example of a, of a student who's thrown out of school, 
uh, because he's not studying hard enough. And, um, and the teacher says um, he's going to have to do all of this work at home in order to graduate. And he's going to have to study at home, but I can't have him in school because he's like dealing drugs, etc. And the kid is like, I'm not going to study at all, that guy. You know, I'm just going to be a slacker. And his mother went to an aunt, a psychologist who trained her about how to use reverse psychology and said, look, you try and get him to study will make him worse. Do try this approach. Try telling him that the teacher wants him to fail. The teacher gave him all of this work knowing that he wouldn't succeed wow. because he knows you're a slacker. And if you could prove him wrong, can you imagine how great that will feel to show that, that up? So if you study hard and actually graduate, you'll make him look like a fool. And it, it worked. It worked. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I mean that's, I, I, proving people wrong is some of the most powerful energy and fire that I think right. humans have. I think that's, that was my entire life was proving everyone wrong about like kids who made fun of me and bullies and the guy who sexually abused me and all these things. I was like, yeah. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. Wow. And it worked. Powerful motivator. It worked until it didn't. Until I realized, man, I'm still suffering inside. Uh -huh. And I'm not fulfilled. Uh -huh. And it wasn't until about five years ago when I started opening up about everything I was insecure about or holding on to and frustrated about. When I realized, like, okay, yeah, that got me to where I'm at and it helped me accomplish a lot of things, but I'm still unfulfilled. And when I started to say, how can I prove people right and lift other people up? whether they doubted me or hurt me or not, and focus on that energy, that's when I became so much more fulfilled, so much more peaceful, and more driven uh -huh. to impact more people as opposed to prove a handful of people wrong. That's right. Well, uh, that's sort of a lot of what I'm talking about in the book is your ability to be aware of yourself and honest with yourself and say that this isn't ultimately fulfilling right. and that what I think is this strong thing is actually a weakness of mine, and I'm going to work against that. That's sort of the whole point of the book, is knowing who you are, knowing your, your, your weaknesses, knowing what, has, what really motivates you. Because it was your self-awareness that was able to make you change. Yeah. And my self-awareness in the beginning, for 30 years, where I was like, this is the way it needs to be in order for me to achieve. Was there a, was there a particular experience that, that provoked this? I mean... I was sexually abused when I was five by a man. My brother was in prison for four years and I didn't have friends during that time because the neighborhood parents wouldn't let their kids hang out with me. Yeah. I was you know, in the special needs classes all through elementary school and had a tutor through college because I couldn't read and write. Wow. So just getting feeling like very insecure around you know, everything. I wasn't a good student. I didn't learn in the, the structure that school was built for us. I learned from sports. So I put all my energy into proving people wrong in sports because I could learn from moving my body, from listening to a coach and applying it right then and failing and learning. And, <clears throat> and that structure was a better format for learning for me. But was there something that happened five years ago that triggered Oh, yeah. Five years ago. I, I started, I went through a, I, I, I read about this in my book, The Mask of Masculinity, and talked about it many times. But I had a, a bad fight. I was playing basketball down the street, pickup game with a bunch of people and um, got a bad fight, like a real fist fight and blood everywhere. And, wow. And I had this awakening right afterwards of fear. I was like, what did I just do? 
and he got in a fight. Were you something. the instigator? We were both kind of the instigators. He hit me first, but we're like, you know, talking trash the whole game and yeah. hard fouling and, and, you know, oh. playing a hard game. But he actually hit me first so that, but who knows? I instigate. I could have diffused the, the situation right. at any time. I could right. have backed away. I could have been calmer, all these things. So that made you reassess yourself? Yeah, it made me realize I'd achieved all these things. I was, you know, successful or whatever with these accomplishments. But I was like, why am I still angry? Why am I still, right. why am I still reactive to this nonsense that's nothing? It's a little pick a basketball game. And yet I take it so personally yeah. and feel like this person is attacking my masculinity, my manhood, my life, my credibility, yeah. everything. Wow. So I would defend myself. Wow. Anytime someone said something negative about me, I had to defend myself. Wow. It's kind of like my whole life, though. Right. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S. Now, I was a joyful, happy guy, but when that happened, it was a trigger. Wow. And, and so, and my friend was like, I don't want to hang out with you anymore because he was there. Uh huh. He was like, every time we play basketball, you get in a fight. Wow. Or you react, or you say something, wow. or you shove someone, whatever. Wow. And so I said, I need to take a look at my life. That's... And I started going to workshops. I started doing emotional intelligence wow, training. Wow. I started working with therapists of Good all different types. And I was just like, I need to see what's the root of this. Well, the, the key is here is that decision that you were not going to let this become a pattern. That was it. And a lot of people could have reacted the opposite way. Right. So what's what makes you different from others is could, someone could write a whole book about. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a student of life, too. You know, like, I always want to learn. Right. And I realized that's something that was holding me back. Like, I'd achieved a certain level of success or right. results, but I still couldn't sleep at night. I was still hurting inside. I was right. still unfulfilled. And I was like, well, I thought once you achieve these things, yeah. like, you feel better. Yeah. Like these are dreams that I've had for years that why don't I feel good now? Well, that's a common, I think, yeah. yeah, and I think it was like I turned 30, I was going through a breakup in a relationship that I moved here for in LA. Yeah, I, I was, remember that. I was in a business breakup as well with my yeah. partner and I was like, huh, why? You know, I'm the common denominator for everything going wrong in my life. Right, right, right. Like. So you saw your own patterns. I saw it. And, and I think that was my, you know, not near-death experience of like getting in this fight, but it was like an awakening moment. Well, the fight, see, sometimes it takes something physical, like you, you could feel the, the fist on your oh face and you knew the feeling of shame. Oh, These I are powerful horrible. chemical reactions that you'll feel 20 years from now, and so yeah. that can wake you up. 
Hopefully it doesn't take that much for other people, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. Yeah. And luckily, you know, the guy was, the guy was fine. I mean, there was blood everywhere and everything, but the police station was right across the street, and I was just like, I could lose everything. Yeah, you like, could. what if this guy had a knife? What if yeah. they pressed charges? Or what if, the, you know, it's like, yeah. what's the point of this? You see, this is something I, <clears throat> I talk about in the book a lot, is... Um, there's almost like a stranger inside of you, a person that acts and you don't even know who they are. Like in those moments, you're not Lewis. No. Who is this? And it could happen tomorrow still, right. where you could get in a situation where that will happen. And where does that come from? Well, there are things like that in everybody, where certain circumstances, certain events will trigger something in you and you'll act in a way that you don't even understand. Like, I never did that before. Why am I doing this? <laughs> right. You know. Why am I falling in love with the absolute worst woman that I could possibly you know, involve in my life? Why am I taking this career job path that's making me miserable? Why am I getting into fights? Why am I suddenly getting angry? I'm saying that these are forces inside of you, human nature, that you don't understand, that are compelling you to behave in certain ways. And your only way outside is to understand what's going on inside of mm. you. you. Wow. Know? And that's why this book is so important. You have so many other great chapters in here. I want to ask you a couple more questions. Sure. And then we can wrap it up. This one on, you know, advance with a sense of purpose is a law. You talk about the law of aimlessness. And I think, you know, for me, having a clear vision, or at least a vision that you think is clear for a certain amount of time, is one of the most powerful things we can have. Because if we are aimless, then we're screwed, I feel like. Yeah. Well, the problem for human beings is, um, you know, an animal, a cat or a dog, they don't have to wake up in the morning and decide what they're going to do, right? Oh, am I going to eat this food? Or am I going to go for a walk? Whatever. Their life is sort of programmed uh -huh. by their, who they are genetically, etc. We humans don't have that kind of programming. We are not given any kind of natural guidance in life. We could wake up and we could not go to work tomorrow. We could suddenly do whatever we wanted if, if we felt so inclined. So we have to create our own sense of purpose. And that purpose can't come from the outside. If our parents tell us, you need to do this, this, and this, or a teacher tells us, it's not going to connect to something deep within us. And it might work for a while, but when we're 25, we'll feel empty and hollow because we're not, it's not something from within. It's and we'll lose. It's not our path, yeah. yeah. So the trick in life is figuring out what you were meant to do. I maintain, and this is something that I go into in great depth in Mastery, in Chapter 1 in Mastery, but I also in this book, is to figure, every human is different. Every human has a different genetic code. Their brains are wired differently. Their parents, um, no two people have the same parents who raise them a certain way. You are different. You have something very unique about you. That uniqueness exists for a purpose. If you follow that, if you use your uniqueness in some way, you will create something probably pretty interesting and pretty yeah. great, right? But if you follow what everyone else is doing, you, you will be like everyone else. You will become a lawyer because your parents say you are, should. And when you're 29, you'll feel, you won't feel connected to it. And you'll see that there are 8 million other lawyers doing the same thing. And you'll be 32 and you'll be drinking and you'll gain weight and you'll lose all, and your life will go downhill from there. Is this your life? 
No, <laughs> could have been. Yeah, could have been. My parents would have liked me to become a lawyer or a doctor. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, how do you find that voice? I call it a voice that's telling you who you are and what you need to do. How do you find it? Well, it's listening first of all. Um, so, you, when you were young, you were generally attracted to certain. Uh, to certain activities or, or pursuits. I call it in, 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 in mastery primal inclinations. It's a voice inside of you saying, you should do this, you are attracted to that. There's a book that I recommend by a man named Howard Gardner called The Five Frames of Intelligence. He mentions that there are five forms of intelligence. Um, one that has to do with mathematics patterns. One is kinetic with sports. One is social and do with people, one has to do with words, there's a fifth one I don't remember. Everyone has a brain that is inclined towards one of the five. That's like your main strength. Um, for you it might have been kinetic, which mm -hmm. was sports and activity and physical action. We tend to uh, emphasize in our culture intel intellectual uh, as a form of intelligence. But being really good with your hands or being really good at sports is a form of intelligence. You are naturally drawn to one of these five forms. You have to know what that is. And when you were very young, you felt naturally drawn to certain things. When I was a kid, I was drawn to words. I was obsessed with language and words. And I was obsessed with strategy, mm. with warfare and war games and sports. Um, and so, you know, eventually that's sort of what I ended up, <clears throat> ended up doing. You know, Tiger Woods, when he was a year and a half old, <clears throat> saw his father hitting golf balls in the garage and he went berserk. He felt this like primal attraction to it. I have many examples of famous people. You probably had that in your life, but as you get older, you start listening to your friends, mm -hmm. your teacher, your parents, and you're not hearing that voice anymore. And all you're hearing is what other people tell you who you should be what they think is cool, and you lose connection to what makes you unique. Mm. And what, who you are, your uniqueness is your source of power. The further you deviate from that uniqueness, the weaker you will become. You will become like other people. Wow. So the, the game in life is to know who you are, to gather skills and train yourself and be disciplined. And by the time you reach your age of 30, you, you have a lot of creative energy and you're able to take all the things that you've learned and create something unique like you did with your School of Greatness. Yeah. It, I was 36 when I started writing The 48 Laws of Power, so it took me a little bit longer than that. <laughs> well, you obsessed a little more with things, that's why. Yeah. You're a perfectionist. That's right. You let that get in the way. Yeah. Well, I had a little more failure than most people have. It took me a little longer, I'm a little slow. It's okay. <laughs> Worked in your advantage. Um, that's powerful, I like that. So lean into your curious, the things that you were curious about as a kid and go back into the, one of those five things, figure out what it is yeah. and start pursuing that more. I also know what you don't like. Yeah. Um, you don't like working in a group where, where everything's political. Uh, well, then maybe you need to be an entrepreneur and work for yourself and start your own business. So the things that you dislike show you a lot about who you are. Mm. I like that a lot because I think a lot of people right now they have too many options. Yeah, I'm passionate about everything. How do I know which direction to go? Yeah, and that's like a, a downfall in itself. It's just like 
law of figuring out how to choose one direction. There's people that don't have, they don't know what their passion is. And they're like, how do I find my passion? And there's people who have lots of passions. Right. They're basically in the same boat. You're they not, are. You're I not doing either, anything. That's right. And it's hard because, especially with the internet and all the access to information, you can get excited about so many things. It's, oh, I could direct a film. Oh, I could you know, write a screenplay. Oh, I could win a political election, etc. No, you can't. You can't do everything. You're not meant to do everything in life. You are not Leonardo da Vinci. Mm. There's probably one or two or three things that you need to focus on, but you need to find that thing to focus on. Focusing on one activity is not something that should frighten you, it should liberate you. Because by developing solid skills in one area, you now have power to maybe branch out to something else and combine different skills. If you aren't somebody, if you're somebody that gets easily bored and just one straight path, you can follow this path of doing different things, but you have to master each level before you can advance. Yeah, and, the, and if you are scattered in your passions or your direction or your vision, you will influence less people. The more powerful you become in one area, the more influential you become in, with lots of people. Isn't that right? That's right. We'll finish with, with this topic and then I'll ask you my final couple of questions because there's a lot of people that are looking to build a business or build a following with social media. And you have a chapter that says, make them want to follow you. How do we make people want to follow us, whether it be offline, online, you know, buying into our business, our products, our services, our books, yeah. following us on social media, listening to our podcast? How do we do that? Well, you have to understand human nature. Um, That's the key. Yeah. Understanding human nature, yes. <laughs> people don't want to be forced or coerced or manipulated. They want to feel that they are coming to something on their own. So if you create this podcast and you go out there and you get all this advertising, etc., and you force people, you force yourself down people's throats with your presence, they go, ah, you know, this guy's trying too hard. I'm not so interested. But if you create a viral buzz where instead of you promoting yourself, I go out and go, wow, Lewis was the best interviewer, but you are, you are one of the best interviewers around. Thank you. I, I believe that. Appreciate it, thank you. And I realized, because it was six years ago, I remember how good an interview <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Um, if I'm the one going out and promoting mm -hmm. you, suddenly that carries so much more power. Right. So you have to understand that you don't want, so oftentimes, this is a chapter about leadership. Often as a leader, your impulse is to yell at people and, and make them do things, do your bidding. And that creates defensive, resentful, bitter people. You want them to want to join your force, to do, to join the group, to follow the group's path, to, you know, to, to get into line on their own, on the, of their own volition. They follow you. And so you have to understand that, first of all, you're dealing with individuals. You can't compel. You have three people who work for you. You can't do the same thing with each person. You have to play to their psychology. You have to create a cause. People don't want to feel like they're doing something for money. It makes it's kind of soulless and mercenary. Right. If, oh, I'm going to listen to Lewis's podcast because I'm going to become a millionaire. Well, you'll get some people, but a lot of people will find that kind of empty. But if you say, I, you listen to my podcast and you're going to help humanity, mm. you're going to change the world, you're going to feel great about yourself. People are going to love you. You're appealing to things that motivate people, right? 
So you have to understand that. You have to get them to, to, to join a cause. Um, basically, that's, that's, I mean, I, I have more things in the chapter. Yeah, but yeah that's the essence of it, yeah. You, t you talk also about a dark shadow, is that what you call it? Shadow side or dark shadow? The shadow side. What does what that mean and what is your shadow side? Well, your shadow side came out on the basketball court very clearly. Yes. The right? Incredible Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a very important concept. Basically, it means um, when we were children, we were two or three years old, we were like a complete individual. We felt all this range of emotions, anger, hate, love, it's joy, depression. And we tended to express it, as children often do. All the time, right? Yeah. yeah. And then our parents intervene and say, because a, a, a child who just does what he wants and is always expressing it can be kind of irritating and you, you, you want to sleep and you, want, you have your own cares. So you're telling the child, stop that behavior, stop being like that. You know, be a good boy, be a good girl, study harder. And so you start to repress certain qualities in yourself in order to please your parents, in order to please other people. Those qualities could be your aggressiveness, your, your natural assertiveness. They could be your, your kind of dramatic, you know, tendencies your or whatever. Your theater nature, yeah. Your what? Your theater nature. Your theater yeah. nature. Yeah. You kind of repress them. You try to be who you, something that will please other people. And as you repress that other part of your character, it goes into what we call the shadow. It doesn't disappear. Nothing ever disappears. It just is not immediately visible. Mm -hmm. It forms the dark side of your character. There's the moon that we always see in the sky. Then there's the dark side of the moon that we don't see. But the dark side of the moon doesn't exist. It's still there. Just we don't see it. Everybody has the dark, their dark side. And it comes from these qualities that they were repressed when they were younger and it will come out later in life in sudden bursts of anger like you on the basketball field right. or it'll come out you know in a relationship uh -huh. for instance um, you might have felt like your parents didn't really love you and you're worried that th that you were worried as a child that, th that you had an irrational fear that they would abandon you and then you form a, a relationship later with a woman and she's slightly cold to you, but not for any reasons that have to do with you. Maybe she's in a bad mood. You assume that she's about to abandon you because you have that fear and you lash out and you get angry and you like basically instigate a breakup in advance because you don't want to deal with that pain of going through it. You don't want to have to be abandoned. You want to be, be the one abandoning. Right. Well, that's your shadow side coming out. Everybody has it. And you'll notice it when people do something that seems out of character. They will lash out. They will get angry. They will do something self-destructive. They will say, as we said earlier, oh, that's not me. You know, something came over me. But no, that is, is them. Wow. That is their shadow acting out. That person on the basketball court wasn't somehow Mr. X who suddenly invaded Lewis's right, body. Right. It, was, it was Lewis. Yeah. It was more Lewis than what we normally see. Right. Normally we see the nice, pleasant Lewis. Uh, yeah. The real Lewis suddenly came out on that basketball court. <laughs> yeah. And you saw it. Yeah. Well, everybody has that. And you want to see that in people. You want to see that they're any you want to see oh. their shadow. Right. And understand that, that that they're not as 
the nice, as nice and wonderful as they say they are, not to judge them, but to be aware. And you want to see your own shadow so you can use it, so you can be aware of it, so you can overcome wow. it. Wow. What's your shadow side? That's a good question. Um, I've had to deal a little bit with my shadow side now because I suffered a stroke about two months ago. And my shadow side is I feel like I'm, I have an incredible need to be independent and self-reliant. And if I don't feel that way, if I feel like I'm trapped, that I can't do something, I get really angry and really can be vicious and violent. So the sense that something is stripping or stepping on my independence or autonomy can trigger that Lewis Howe basketball reaction. <laughs> the Hulk comes out. The Hulk comes out. So, so I've had to, and everyone has to suffer that, huh? Well, I had to deal with it. I've had to deal with the fact that I am dependent, that I am like a baby right now, that I can't have to rely on people. But there are other things that I can do for myself still, but there's small things. That's part of it. And then the other shadow side is the hyper-perfectionist in me that's always trying to please and yeah. make the absolute perfect book, you know? Well, they're pretty amazing. <laughs> they're pretty amazing. So that it's paying off in some ways, but yeah. at what cost also? What's the price you have to pay Yeah, with that well, shit, I guess, right? Yeah, but you know, um, as I said before when we were first talking, I'll take that price yeah. because I created something that I wanted to do. I did something that mean, meant a lot to me, and I knew I was kind of hurting myself physically, mm. but I still did it. It's like... You're going off to war. What will make a man, a, a person, man or woman, go into battle, knowing that you you could die? A greater purpose. Yeah. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support, anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. So you, you give up your body for, or a football player, for yeah. you give up your body for something greater, and that's not a bad feeling. Yeah. What's the thing you're most proud of that most people don't know about? Wow. Huh. Well, um, that's a good question. <laughs> I try to make you think about things you normally don't think about. I think I'm proud. Of, well, I don't like tooting my own horn. Mm -hmm. I don't like saying how wonderful I am. I well, if you had to, about the thing that you're most proud of. Well, you of. know what? People assume, because I wrote the 48 Laws of Power, they have this image that I'm kind of this. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of this manipulative Machiavelli who goes around trying to get the better of people, uh -huh. that I know every trick in the book, that if I'm late for a meeting, I'm doing that on purpose because I'm <laughs> playing some game. Yeah. 
and actually I'm a really nice person uh-huh. you know I'm kind of a, a puppy yeah I'm not like that at all you know I can be tough when I have to be but um, it's kind of my father my father was a really nice person he wasn't weak but he was just really nice mm-hmm. So I, get, I don't know if I'm proud of that, but that's sort of a side of me that people don't know. I'm not, yeah. a, I'm not as much an Yeah, guy. yeah, that's good. Good to be proud of being a nice guy. Your shadow <laughs> side is the manipulative strategist, right? That's right, it, it that's right. Out. That is right, that's actually more accurate. That would be my shadow side. Uh, yeah. There you go. What's the question you wish more people would ask you that they never ask? Wow. Anytime you get Robert Greene to say, wow, that's a good sign. <laughs> the question people ask you wish people would ask you yeah or you wish you could answer more man you see the problem for me is my books cover so many different topics that people generally ask about everything I mean a lot of it has to do with um, you know because I've spent my whole life listening to other people and writing about other people, I don't really talk about myself very much. So um, sort of talking about my own experiences and how I formed myself, I did that in a TED talk and it was very difficult for me, it's very Mm -hmm. unnatural. Mm -hmm. But in this TED talk I discussed how I arrived at where I am right now. And uh, that's something I don't get to talk a lot about because I don't like to talk about myself that much. Mm. But that's sort of a question I don't get so much. How you arrived where you're at right now. Yeah, how I ended up writing the the kind of books that I write. I remember you telling me about this six years ago where you had done a lot of different things that were all failures. Right. I think you were like a newspaper writer or like a screenplay writer and all these different things. And you were like 70% good at all of them, but they weren't really that great. Yeah. And then they all kind of magically showed up at 36 to writing like this different book that no one really wanted, but then it was like a big hit. Yeah, I mean, the thing was, um, goes back to the thing about uniqueness that we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, I've never felt like I was like other people. I've always felt like an oddball. I never did what my parents told me to do. I left college and went and lived in Europe. I mean, I graduated, but I lived in Europe and I just wandered around. I never listened to what people told me to do. And um, so when it came time to writing this book, this man who was my partner in writing it, who packaged it, he sort of asked me if I had an idea for a book and I kind of explained my ideas about power. I decided to make it something very weird and unique. Different than was in the market. and Yeah. yeah. Like, no, you can hate the 48 Laws of Power, but you can... Honestly, no one has ever written a book like that. Mm-hmm. The structure with the stories, the sections, the quotes, the things on the side. And I got a lot of grief for that. The publishers go, I don't think this will work. And we want you to change it. We want it to be more like other books. Mm-hmm. And so I stuck to my guns and I said, no, I'm going to go down sinking with who I am. Mm. If this works, it's because I'm, I'm weird and I'm unique. And it, it succeeded. So the idea that, um, and then after the 48 Laws of Power, the, ne- the logical thing was to put 48 Laws of Power Part 2 and to sort of kind of mine what I'd already done. I said, no, I'm going to go in a new direction. So I'm constantly challenging myself mm. 
and following my own path. I'm a weirdo. Yeah. And people don't realize maybe how weird I really am. Only my wife kind of knows how truly weird I am. Sure. So maybe that's to answer your question. I like that. How, how truly strange and weird I am. But that's the path to achieving something great is leaning into your uniqueness. I think so. I mean, you could go too far with that. Right. right. I still got to reach the masses in some way. I could have written poetry. <laughs> or hey, there are poets right now that are selling millions of copies. Okay. Rupi Kaur, right. have you seen her? Yeah. She sold millions of copies. Two books, I think, were number one New York Times bestseller. Okay, poetry I, books. I take that back. Never but if know. I had written poetry, that wouldn't have <laughs> It wouldn't have been a gift for you, yeah. yeah. Um, this is a question I ask at the end. It's called The Three Truths. Oh, and I didn't ask you this last time because I didn't have this question. So uh, imagine you uh, live as long as you want. You live for as many years as you want, but at some point you get to choose the day. Is it the last day for you? And you've written every book that you can think of. They've all been bestsellers. They've all, you know, millions of copies, yeah. like you've already done, and then some. Yeah. You've done it all. And you say, okay, it's been good, like, time to go. And for whatever reason, you've got to take all of your work with you. So no one has access to your work anymore. You've got to bring it with you. Hypothetical. But you get to write down on a piece of paper the three truths from everything that you've learned in your life, from all of your books, all of your messages, your work, your insights, all your weirdness that you are, the three things you know to be true about life. And this would be the only thing that you would leave behind for everyone to have. Uh -huh. Robert Greene's Three Truths or Life Lessons. What would you say are your truths? Well, um... There's a weird kind of law that governs the universe, which is what you give to the world is sort of what you get, right? So we are more active than we think we are. We are more responsible for what happens to us than we think we are. Um, and so the things that have worked for me in life, when I've sort of been aware of that and through my attitude, through, you know, like, the pattern of my life is kind of foggy with all of the failures. But overall, there was, a, there was a reason behind it. There was a purpose, and I followed that purpose unconsciously, maybe consciously to some degree, mm -hmm. and it led to where I am today. But that there is something, a feeling that I had, that there is something kind of guiding me, and I can't put my words, I can't put my finger on it. Something was guiding me to where I ended up today, even from when mm. I was five years old. Wow. So I've always had a feeling of like fate and destiny, for better or for worse, and it happened. So mm. that's that's one. One of the shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Um, the other truth is that um, is that. Uh, we tend, I tend, and other people, we tend to be too nice in life, mm. too um, indulgent with other people, too nice. We don't ask for enough. We, we, we feel like we don't deserve much in life, etc. And we let people push us around. I was pushed around a lot because I was sort of a naive mm. writer type who didn't understand that there are bad people out there. So one of the things I had to learn in life and that are the source for my work mm. 
is that there are bad people out there and you have to recognize that that there are narcissists that there are aggressive people that there are passive aggressive people that they are enviers and you you have to be aware of that and you have to be strong enough to deal with them and by not being able to deal with those kind of people your life can be completely ruined one awful toxic person one bad relationship can ruin you for life you internalize the negative energy so the ability to stand up for yourself and to be aware and to understand that not everyone has the best intentions and that you're going to be more strategic and not always kind of just accepting what people give you was a major source of wisdom for me and all of my books come from a bit of anger you know and i think the reader can feel the anger in them and anger is kind of an intoxicating emotion and i even talk in the book how it can be a positive emotion when when my writing is angry it's very real and you can feel it so i've been able to take that kind of sense of there are people out there who are hurtful and use that anger and turn it into something positive into a book that was sort of the second <laughs> Final truth. Final truth. Well, um, for the world to know. For the world to know. Um, oh man. Well, I'd say one thing was kind of related to some of the other things I've said. And we, I did write a book about this, but it has to do with the role of fear in my life mm. and what I've been afraid of. And um, I come from a background of my parents were kind of anxious, somewhat fearful people. And I tended to internalize that um, and uh, to worry about what will happen next to whether people will like me. And to the degree that I overcame that fear and did something bold and unusual, I've kind of become more of who I am and mm -hmm. kind of achieved things. So I've always been one to confront my fears. Like I have great fears now of walking because if I fall, and it's very easy for me to fall, I could be finished, you know, I'll break something and now I can't, my stroke will never, I'll never get over. Uh, I've got to get over that and I've got to keep walking and walking and get over my fear. I was afraid of, of being alone or being in a situation I had no control over. So when I was 22 years old, I went and lived uh, on the island of Crete in Greece in, um, with a backpack and sleeping in caves wow. and kind of being alone and sort of cutting myself off from the world was something I greatly feared and I kind of overcame that fear. So sort of the ability for me to uh, confront what I'm most afraid of has been a great source of power. I'm not great at it. There's still many fears that, that haunt me, but instead of kind of giving into them, always kind of confronting them and, and moving past them. Mm, to confront your fears. Yeah. Wow. 
That's powerful. Did I cover three? You covered three. Those are beautiful. Um, make sure you guys get this book, The Laws of Human Nature. It's out right now. Very powerful. I recommend getting a couple copies to give to friends as well because the key to, to life is relationships. Yep. And this is the key to understanding people and understanding how to be better in relationships. So get this book. It's going to transform the way you move through life. Um, we can follow you on Instagram, Twitter. Where do you spend time at or where do you well, post Well, we have a website in which everything is funneled into. I've had it for years. It's <clears throat> power, seduction, and war, the and spelled out, dot com. Those are my first three books. Power, seduction, and war. Dot com. Dot com. <clears throat> There's a site. You'll find there a site for mastery and for the new book. Right. <coughs> and you yeah. spending time on social media at all or no? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Instagram. But I'm not as active as I should be, but I'm there. What's your handle on Instagram? <laughs> we'll find it and link it up for people. Yeah, I don't even know what it is on Twitter. I just have it on my phone. I don't We'll find it. I should have probably your name. So yeah. good. <laughs> Um, well, I want to acknowledge you, before I ask the final question, I want to acknowledge you, Robert, for constantly showing up and creating masterpieces because these books truly transform lives. Millions of people oh. talk about them, read them, and they improve their life because of the information that you obsess over, whether that's good or bad, but your ability to dive into a topic is unbelievable. So oh. I acknowledge you for your your care and attention to detail Thank you, Lewis. to impact people's lives. Thank you, Lewis. I just want to make sure you take care of your health moving forward. <laughs> um, but it's amazing everything you've done. I'm, I'm grateful for our friendship over the years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just, you know, everything that's happened. Yeah. So I saw you when you were just a little... A you were my left. first episode. <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate you for giving me my... My first chance of well, it. was an honor. I'm so proud of yeah. you and everything you've done. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. The final question oh. is, what is your definition of greatness? Well, it's kind of what we've already talked about. So um, I feel like everybody has the potential for greatness. And greatness would mean something a little bit larger than what you've already done, for going a little bit beyond what you've already created, going a little bit past your limits. Great implies kind of size and largeness. And so everybody has the potential for greatness. I don't care who you are or, or, or the bad circumstances of your childhood. And greatness is realizing your own potential. I don't care what that is. It could be in being the best possible parent. It could be in using your hands and creating some beautiful work of art or some great bit of craftsmanship. It could be in writing a book or creating a great podcast. But it's something larger than what you were 10 years ago. You've expanded your boundaries. You've expanded your own limits. You've pushed them a little bit further. Mm. So to me, that's greatness. I made this a circle. I didn't explain it in the book because I said human nature kind of contains us. It creates a limit for us. We can't become a chimpanzee or a sheep. We are human and this is the limiting factor. But by knowing the laws of human nature, you can begin to explore a little bit further mm. out and become something a little bit more. You can take 
your irrational nature and become more reasonable and rational. Well, going pushing a little bit past your limits mm. and expanding like a balloon just a little further, that's greatness to me. Mm. And not accepting, but moving past your own limits. Robert Green, thank you, man. Thank you, Lewis. Appreciate thank you. That. that was great. Thank you. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me, as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis house. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 